Hi, hello, and welcome. Episode number 60 of the Ball Don't Lie podcast. My name is Audie Elmore, and um, I don't like to do this. I don't like to do this, but we are going, and for some of you, I'm sorry, but we are going all Bengals in episode number 60 of the Ball Don't Lie podcast. It is the State of the Franchise edition. And uh, to be quite honest with you, there is uh, quite a bit to talk about. Quite a bit to talk about. Good, bad, ugly, everything in between as we are now some 20-some games into the Zach Taylor era. We've got drama on the field. We've got drama off of it. We will discuss every bit of it uh, today on the Ball Don't Lie podcast. I appreciate you being here. If you don't already, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Audiomore, A-U-T-Y-E-L-M. O-R-E. Bengals fall to the Colts on Sunday after leading 21 to nothing early in the game. We'll talk about that. Um, but first, let me tell you, as I always do, about the Thrive Fantasy app. Download the Thrive Fantasy app today. You can hashtag prop up, put some money on some daily fantasy, some prop bets. Use the promo code Audi. When you sign up, you put $20 in. They instantly match $20 uh, of free money for you to play and to win some. I continue to play continue to make some money, and uh, you should do the same. So uh, download the Thrive Fantasy app, use promo code Audi when you sign up, and you too can uh, prop up today. Week six in the NFL has come and gone, and um, there are no shortage of storylines in Cincinnati. And (laughs) I told myself, and I have mentioned this in the podcast, I've mentioned this to those close to me, that I... I was taking this year off and I don't, I'm not, I don't normally get like super upset watching sports. I almost never do because I'm a grown man and uh, I cannot control anything that happens on the field uh, or in, on the court or whatever it may be. And so I, I just don't get super upset about the stuff. And, and I like to observe and come up with my opinions and try to figure out why things are happen, happening other than, getting upset about something that I can't control. Everyone's different. Everyone enjoys sports in their own way. And if you're one of those people that jumps up and downs and jumps up and down and throws things and punches a wall and lets your team losing ruin your whole day, then that's fine. Live your truth. But I told myself going into this year, and first of all, subconsciously, I do get still upset when the Bengals lose because they're my childhood team. They're my favorite team. You always want them to win. You always want them to succeed. You want to finally be the Cinderella story that the Chicago Cubs have been or the Kansas City Chiefs were or whoever it may be, like the Tampa Bay Rays might be in the World Series this year. You want your team to do the unthinkable, and you always have hope that maybe this year is the year. So, of course, I get upset when they lose. But I told myself going into 2020 that I wanted to just sit back and relax and enjoy watching my team play football because I went through a, a period of time, like everybody else did, where I wasn't sure if we were even going to play football. I wasn't sure if there would be football. I wasn't sure if I'd see the Bengals in 2020. I wasn't sure about any of that stuff. And so I said, I've got a rookie quarterback. The window is now officially wide open. I had confidence in Zach Taylor. I had confidence in the nucleus they were building. I had confidence in what they seemed to be doing in the organization. And I said, I'm going to sit back and relax and enjoy watching football. I'm not going to get upset. I don't expect them to be good. Yada, yada, yada. I expected them to build upon what they did last year and be better. That has not happened. 
you have a franchise quarterback in Joe Burrow. There's no no question about it. Your window is still wide open. There's no question about that. But there seems to be an issue somewhere along the line. It might be Zach Taylor. It could be management. It might be veteran leadership in the locker room. It could be the young guys. It could be the training staff. It could be the defensive coaches specifically. Who knows? But whatever it is, something is not working for the Cincinnati Bengals. So let's just run through it. First and foremost, things are not good. The Bengals are 1-4-1. and They blew a 21 to nothing lead in Indianapolis on Sunday against the Colts, and they lost 31-27. to There are reports out this week that Carlos Dunlap and Geno Atkins, perhaps the two most decorated defensive players in team history, are unhappy with their roles and potentially want out of Cincinnati. Geno Atkins had a mysterious shoulder injury that kept him out the first three or four weeks of the season. He's played the last two weeks. He's played 18 snaps and 19 snaps in each of those games. And Zach Taylor said after the game that Geno Atkins is third downs and primarily going to be third downs moving forward. If you know anything about football, if you know anything about Geno Atkins, and you know anything about this Bengals team or the last eight years since Geno Atkins has been here, an all-pro talent, their best player for many years, you know that Zach Taylor saying Geno Atkins only on third downs makes absolutely zero sense whatsoever. None, if you're trying to win football games. Carlos Dunlap, I wonder if there's more than scratches the surface with him. Because he has been absolutely awful when it comes to effort the last two seasons. He's been very bad. Embarrassingly bad. Unacceptably bad. For a guy that is just one sack away, or two sacks away, from breaking the franchise's all-time sack record. Carlos Dunlap's effort and execution and overall production the last two years have been terrible. Does that have something to do with the defensive coordinator? Sure. Maybe it has a new scheme? Sure. Whatever it may be. He's upset. He's voiced his frustrations. He said on Instagram he's not happy with the fact that he no longer starts because he was told on a piece of paper and not in person. Maybe you do owe it to a nine-year vet to tell him in person. But also, he's a grown man and a football player and hasn't played like a grown man, a leader, or a good football player the last two years. So at the same time, I can understand why they would just say, hey, yeah, you don't start anymore because you stink. And he's also upset because, and then he says he's been changed to a, quote, outside linebacker now. All right. Take this up with the coaching staff and not with the media. And I have been on here and said several times I love transparency from athletes, and I do. But at the same time, you don't air your grievances out to the media or to your fan base. You talked with the coaches. So that's what concerns me, number one, is that there seems to be a serious disconnect with the communication between the coaching staff and the players. But that's not all. John Ross, he has asked for a trade that, 2017 eighth overall pick in the NFL draft, the fastest 40-yard dash time in the history of football. It just hasn't worked out in Cincinnati. He's had flashes of brilliance. He's had injury struggles. He's been active and or he's been inactive, healthy scratch. He's done all these things that just don't, it just hasn't worked out for whatever reason for John Ross. He's talented and I think he has the potential to do it. He had led the NFL in receiving yards through the first quarter of the season last year before getting hurt. 
He caught seven touchdowns a year before that. It just never seemed to work out for John Ross. He has asked for a trade because he hasn't been playing very much. He was active on Sunday against Indianapolis. He played one snap. It was a run. If you're going to make a guy active after making him inactive for two weeks, what's the point in making him active if you're going to activate him one time or if you're going to activate him for one snap? He didn't play special teams. What are we doing? What's going on? Let's keep going down the la- down the list. Auden Tate, another wide receiver. He was a healthy scratch earlier this season after having the best training camp of any of the receivers. There were people high- highly touting and praising the idea of Joe Burrow and Auden Tate. They were unstoppable in training camp. Auden Tate all of a sudden stops getting the football. Auden Tate all of a sudden is not a part of the game plan. Auden Tate all of a sudden is a healthy scratch. He talks to his agent. They discuss and broach potentially a trade for Auden Tate out of Cincinnati. Next thing you know, Auden Tate is active the next two weeks. He plays a handful of snaps, and then he's inactive on Sunday, and John Ross is active again. What's going on? Darius Phillips, slot cornerback who has shown brilliance over the past two years, was excellent a couple weeks ago and gets the Baltimore Ravens. He has inter- led, the lead- led the team in interceptions last season. He's been a really good slot corner. He tweeted earlier this week, don't waste my talent. Safety Sean Williams and former team captain Sean Williams tweeted in, in, in agreement with him, saying same here, me too, mine either. Darius Phillips' tweet has since been deleted. He was not in his normal role on Sunday. LaShawn Sims got the start over him, and LaShawn Sims played terribly. What's going on? Then, let's look at last season. A.J. Green, the saga that was and has drug into this season. A.J. Green, could he have played last year? I saw a lot of A.J. Green last year, pregame warm-ups, practices, so on and so forth. A.J. Green looked like he could have played football last year. He didn't play a snap. What's the reason for that? They were really bad. That has drug into this year as well. The drama surrounding A.J. Green. You saw him on the sideline a couple weeks ago saying, if you're not going to use me, just trade me, or so it appeared like he said that. There has been this, this, this tense undertone, frustration, something just doesn't feel right in press conferences between A.J. Green with Zach Taylor, with whoever it may be. Something seems off. Of course, he's got a big contract looming. What's going on? What's going on with Zach Taylor? What's going on with A.J. Green? What's going on with that situation? Let's stick with last year. Cordy Glenn, left tackle, was the best player uh, on that offensive line going into last year. He all of a sudden, randomly in the middle of the year, stops playing, loses his mind, leaves the team for a while, doesn't want to come back, and uh, never plays for the Bengals again. Bengals don't want him. Why? What happened? What caused that? Oh, and let's look at one other thing from last year. You've got a veteran quarterback, highly respected in Andy Dalton, who all of the sudden, out of the middle of nowhere, you bench for three games, three of the most winnable games of the year, and you put Ryan Finley out there to the Wolves. He plays terrible. You lose two games in which you probably could have won with Andy Dalton at quarterback, and then you put Andy Dalton in there, and oh, by the way, you benched him on his birthday. I think that was a big moment last year for a lot of players because 
it obviously had worked out for the Bengals because they lose those games. They get Joe Burrow. But all these things are happening, and there's no explanation for them. And you start to wonder, what exactly is going on? I have defended Zach Taylor a lot. And I might even go as far as to say that I still believe in Zach Taylor. I believe in what he's doing and the guys that he's bringing in here. But you want to, at some point, start to see significant improvement. Mo Egger, who is a colleague of mine, continually says, if you're building a winning culture, you have to eventually win something. They haven't. They are 3-18-1 in Zach Taylor's 20-whatever games, 22-21 games in Cincinnati. They have not won a road game under Zach Taylor. You look at their stats this year, they're ranked 25th in offense. Zach Taylor was supposed to be an offensive mastermind. They're 18th in passing, they're 24th in running. You look at their defense, this is a slight improvement. They're 25th out of 32 teams. The last two years, they were 31st and 32nd or whatever. They're 22nd against the pass, they're 27th against the rush. What's going on? Where's the improvement? I think your offense is slightly better than last year. Joe Mixon leads the league in touches. That's good. He just paid him $48 million. Tyler Boyd seems to be the truth. Joe Burrow is your franchise and your cornerstone for the next 15 years. So what's going wrong? Why can't they seem to figure it out? If you have all the pieces to be competitive, why are you not competitive? You might say, well, they've been really stubborn. They haven't improved the offensive line. That's a fair criticism. I don't know how they sleep at night. I've said that in the past. There are guys out there right now better than the guys you have, and you have not gone after them. That's on you. Why do they do that? I don't know. I think defensively is where a lot of the issues are at. With Atkins and Dunlap specifically, I don't know how it makes any sense for Geno Atkins not to be out there every snap. I understand, and and they have not made it abundantly clear that the reason Atkins is only playing third downs is because of his shoulder. Zach Taylor made it sound like, and I could be very off on this, but Zach Taylor made it sound like Geno Atkins is only playing third downs because that's the way they've decided to go. I would really question Zach Taylor about that because it doesn't make any sense to me. Is this another example of organizational tanking to set yourself up for Joe Burrow's second season? Okay. I'm not a huge fan of that, but okay. You know, there are people now that are starting to pipe up about Marvin Lewis, saying, oh, well, Marvin Lewis Lewis never would have let this happen. That very well may be true, but I also think Marvin Lewis let those players get away with a lot. I mean, think of some of the guys that were in that locker room under Marvin Lewis's tenure. Odell Thurman, Chris Henry, Vontez Perfect, Pac-Man Jones. The list goes on and on. It was a lot of dudes that got in a lot of trouble, both on the field, off the field. Ray Maluga comes to mind as well. I mean, I think Marvin Lewis let those guys get away with a lot. And I think there seems to be some sort of disconnect between the veteran leadership on the team and the coaching staff. And I think it starts with communication. Somebody somewhere has rubbed somebody or a group of players the wrong way, and the message seems to no longer be being received. 
And I thought last year they never gave up on Zach Taylor. I thought they played hard. I thought they bought in. This year, I'm struggling because maybe I'm struggling to see that because maybe the team is struggling to buy into something that still hasn't worked. I have been hesitant to say that Zach Taylor is in over his head because I don't like that term, and I don't know if it belie- if I believe that it exists. If you're an NFL coach, I don't know how you could possibly be, be in over your head. But there are times, watching Freddie Kitchens last year in Cleveland come to mind, where you could tell this guy just didn't get it. And there are times I have noticed that more this year than last year. I gave Zach Taylor the benefit of the doubt last year. He could do whatever he wants, say whatever he wants, play whoever he wants. He's a new guy, new system, new everything. I'm buying into him and letting him do what he wants. But here we are a year later. I'm not seeing any results, so I'm starting to get my doubts, as are the rest of the fan base. So if that's how we feel as a fan base, how do you imagine they feel in the locker room, especially if something happened that created a rift? And let me talk about the fan base for a minute. Because I think that the fan base plays a role in this. And I am criticized for being too tough on the fan base or or being rude or crude or whatever you might say about the, the people in the fan base. And that's fine. And maybe I am. But the fact of the matter is, a lot of people unfortunately thought that because Joe Burrow was coming into this organization, that all of a sudden... Joe Burrow and a bunch of B-list free agents that all of a sudden this 2-14 and team was going to be a Super Bowl contending team. That's not true, and that's mentally ill thinking. If you thought that, you need a psychiatric evaluation. That's not how life in the NFL works. It never has, and it never will. Ever. So the fan base does play a role in the frustration because they set expectations way too high. I don't think the Bengals ever were like, oh, yeah, we're going to be a playoff team this year. I think the Bengals were like, okay, we're just going to try to get a little bit better here, get some fans excited, and then, oh, man, next year we're going to go for it. Well, that very well may be the case, but you can't play the way they're playing because they have the potential to be better. And I think all everybody all of a sudden sees the clock ticking on Joe Burrow, especially as he keeps getting destroyed in the pocket. Everyone's like, oh, shoot, we got to hurry up and, and win now because Burrow's not going to last long enough. This can't end well. So the pressure starts to build. The pressure on Zach Taylor starts to build. We've got to make a play. We've got to win some more games. You've got to show improvement here. And I think the coaching staff, honestly, and specifically on the defensive side of the ball, I think they're grasping at straws. You're hurt all over. Atkins was hurt the first few weeks. Mike Daniels was hurt. is hurt for a few weeks. Um, DJ Reader is lost for the season. Sean Williams was out to start the season. Trey Waynes is gone for the year. Mackenzie Alexander has been up and down here and there. Sam Hubbard's out for three weeks right now. you got a bunch of injuries and a bunch of young guys and a bunch of guys still learning the NFL. So I think they're trying to just grasp at whatever works to try to get this defense on track, and they have made improvements. They are better than they were last year. I will give you that, but they're still very bad. So when you have that little depth... I understand the the defensive staff grasping at straws, maybe trying to switch things up, but nothing seems to be making sense. And there's an obvious major disconnect. (sighs) Do you feel better? I feel a little bit better. When I come back on the other side here, I will talk about the positives. What did the Bengals have to build on as we continue the state of the franchise with the Cincinnati Bengals? You're listening to the Ball Don't Lie podcast. All right, so 
What what do the Bengals what are they doing well? What what is there to build on? What are some positives surrounding this franchise, surrounding this organization? Well, I think it's fair to say that despite the madness on and off the field that has happened in the past couple of seasons, I think it's without question that they have the building blocks of the future already in the building in Cincinnati. Joe Burrow, first and foremost, unequivocally, no doubt about it, is the guy. He's the guy. He is your franchise. Start to finish your franchise. Then you have, let's look at specifically on offense. Joe Burrow is your guy. Tyler Boyd, he's your receiver of the future. He's locked down. He's got a contract. Joe Mixon. He's your running back. He's locked down. He's got a contract. Jonah Williams and T. Higgins, two more that I would consider rookies. They are locked down. Jonah Williams, the left tackle. T. Higgins, the wide receiver, who is exploding onto the scene and is going to be a beast, it seems like. Pair all those together with Joe Burrow. That's your core. That's your building block. That's what you build your offense around. A left tackle, a running back, a receiver, two of them, and a quarterback. It's pretty darn good. A lot of teams would kill to have that young core. Got to make something out of it. Now let's look at the defensive side of the ball. Jesse Bates is the number one rated safety in the NFL. Number one free, I think is free safety at his position, rated by Pro Football Focus, the highest graded safety in the NFL. Not particularly close either. He's very, very good. You build your defense around him. Sam Hubbard, young stud. Rushing the passer, getting good at it. Sam Hubbard, a team leader. DJ Reader, young defensive tackle, beast, played well for you at the start of this year before getting hurt. And a name I'll throw in here is Trey Waynes. Trey Waynes, because he's still relatively young, he signed a long-term contract with Cincinnati. He hasn't played a game yet for the Bengals, but you feel like his, his impact will be felt immediately. So Trey Waynes is, is also a part of your building block. So I've got one, two, three, four, five on offense and four on defense. I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not, but uh, you play with 11 on each side. But if you have five on each side that are your core, you're going to do pretty good. That's good in the NFL. You've got to surround these people with talent. You've got to build around them. I love what the Bengals have done in the draft. I have. With the exception of the Drew Sample pick, which still doesn't make any sense to me, I love what the Bengals have done. They're going after high-character guys. They're going after guys that have taken leadership classes. They're going after guys that have played at big college football programs. They're going after guys that have won consistently in their football careers. That's good. I like that. That's part of building the culture. And Zach Taylor deserves credit for that. You know one of the first things they did when Zach Taylor was hired? They cut Vontez perfect. I don't even think the ink was dry on Zach Taylor's contract when they cut Vontez perfect. It was good. He didn't deserve to be here anymore. He wasn't a part of what they're doing. Now, all this is, is being said with the understanding that they haven't been good yet. But it's not fair to say that they haven't. It's, it's for, not for a lack of trying. Essentially, everything they've done except what's happened on the football field has been right. 
They have been aggressive. They have pursued people in free agency. They've made the right picks in the NFL draft. They have brought in guys to try to shore up their weakest links, which were the linebackers. They try, they brought in guys to shore up their run defense, which was DJ Reader. They brought in a guy to help out William Jackson at cornerback, which was Trey Waynes. They've been insanely unlucky with injuries on the defensive side of the ball. If there's one thing they haven't done right, it's building the offensive line. And if they can't figure that out, well, I think we obviously know that all of this is pointless. But it is not to say that the Bengals are not still positively trending in the right direction. This league, the NFL in general, is so hit or miss, so copycat, so, like, I don't know why I said copycat right there. It came to mind for whatever reason. But the, the, the reaction from one week to another in the NFL is unbelievable. Paul Brown, there's a great quote from Paul Brown that says, winning makes believers of us all. Paul Brown, pretty smart guy, if you hadn't heard of him. Winning makes believers of us all. That is true for every sport, everything we do. If you're playing checkers, if you're playing horse in the driveway, if you're playing cornhole, if you're playing football in the NFL. Winning makes believers of us all. And when you win football games... And, and your fan base and your f- team and your organization and so on and so forth, everyone is excited and everything is better during the week because you won the week before. It gives you hope. It makes you a believer. And like we said earlier, part of a winning culture is actually winning games. I do honestly feel like that's going to come. But whatever is going on out off the field in the locker room, whatever it may be. I asked a source this week. I said uh, this was the same source that had informed me uh, a couple of days prior before it came out that John Ross had asked for a trade. I asked the same source. I said, has Zach Taylor lost the locker room? He said he hadn't heard that. He didn't feel that way. That's good news. Right? Right? Like, that's good news. I don't know if it's true, but that's at least something good. Whatever it might be, maybe Zach Taylor and and, and Duke Tobin and, and the Bengals' ownership, maybe they need to grant the wishes of Geno Atkins, or I don't think Geno Atkins, number one, is raising all that much stink. But maybe if, if John Ross and Carlos Dunlap or other players who have asked for trades want to be traded, then maybe it's best to let them go. Maybe it's best to trade them. Maybe it's best to cut your ties, because whatever is going on, obviously it's not working. Tie your boat to the core, guys, and start going because we don't have time to look back. And by we, I mean we as as fans, as football fans, as, as parts of the organization. Listen, I want the Bengals to do well because I have two jobs and both of them are directly impacted and affected by the success or failures of the Cincinnati Bengals. Both of them are directly impacted by what the Bengals do and who the Bengals are. I want them to be good. Not only for my sake as a fan, not only for the sake of my father who grew up and has has gone through this his entire life, not only for the sake of, of my jobs and my coworkers and the people that work at the stadium and the people in this city, you just want the team to be good. And I think... What can happen in the midst of a loss or back-to-back losses, and especially a loss like this in which they, they were just bad. They were just really, really bad, and they, get, they blew a huge lead. 
In the midst of moments like that, we can get so lost in the shuffle and in the anger and in the madness of this and that and the other and what's going on off the field and on Instagram Live. And all this stuff is amplified by the fact that you're not winning football games. If you can continue to weather the storm until you win a couple of football games, then maybe this will go away. But you have to win. Because if you don't, they are going to crucify you throughout the week. It's going to get harder. The pressure will build. The games will get tougher. Especially for the Cincinnati Bengals, playing in the AFC North. The Cleveland Browns are not a pushover. Do I, I do not believe in them. I do not expect them to succeed at any point ever in my life. But they are not a pushover. The Pittsburgh Steelers are very good. The Baltimore Ravens are very good. You play some good teams still on this schedule. Going to have to figure it out. By the way, Tennessee Titans are coming to town in a couple weeks. How about that? Still got Pittsburgh twice, Baltimore another time, Cleveland this week. Got some good teams coming in here, man. Got the talent. I want to see, and every Bengal fan wants to see, progress. In some way, shape, or form, progress. The Bengals, I don't have very much to complain about because, like I said, and I have said on this podcast before, they have done everything right. Up until this point, things are starting to get hairy. I don't know what happened in that locker room. I don't know what has happened on the practice field, in the training room. Whatever happened, whatever is happening, something doesn't seem right. And I can't figure out if something actually happened and we should be concerned or if it's just being magnified by the fact that they've played so poorly and Carlos Dunlap is saying stuff on Instagram because he doesn't start anymore. And we're just sinking our teeth into whatever that is. Looking for a victim. Maybe it's Carlos Dunlap. Maybe it's Zach Taylor. Maybe it's Duke Tobin. But as, I, as I'm going through this podcast, I'm saying these things, I'm talking, I'm saying, okay, well, maybe it's time to pump the brakes a little bit because we're six weeks in. We've got 10 more to play. All right, deep breath. I think we all feel a little bit better. I am up over half an hour, and uh, I was going to talk about other stuff, but I, th I think that covers it, and uh, that got off my chest. I just I wish I knew what was going on. I wish I knew what was going on with the Bengals. We'll find out again. They play a tough game this week against the Cleveland Browns at home at Paul Brown Stadium. Twelve thousand fans will be there for Cincinnati. It's uh, there's a lot there's there's just a lot going on, and you wonder where the truth lies in all of it. I think there are guys in that locker room that might wonder what the, where the truth lies in all of it. There might be guys, I know there's guys in the press box that wonder. All around town, people are wondering what exactly is going on. Because something seems off. But in the meantime, they keep playing football games, and we're going to learn a lot about them over the course of the next couple of months. And uh, I, for one, am grateful for the chance that I get to watch them play football. And listen, don't mistake the passion or the, the vigor that I'm displaying in the recording of this podcast as me being angry. I'm not angry. I'm confused. Like most people, I'm confused. And I'm looking for answers. Because it's just important to me. And like I said, it directly affects both my jobs. It's part of my day-to-day -day life, the successes and failures of the Cincinnati Bengals. 
And it's part of the daily lives of a lot of people. Very quickly, um, World Series starts and is being played as I, uh, as I record this. Let me switch the thing over here. Let me uh, go down a channel. It is the bottom of the first inning. So bottom of the first inning. You will find out tomorrow. By the time you're listening to this, you will know who leads in game one or through the first game of the 2020 World Series between the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, I was telling somebody earlier today, this could not be a more a, a worse series for me personally because I don't find either one of these teams interesting. The Dodgers have been there for three straight years. You know everything about them. The Rays, you don't know hardly anybody on them. They're a small market team. They just go out and win like 6-2 to two every night, and there's not all that much excitement. Um, so it's, it's not that interesting of a world series to me, but you know, I'll watch as much as I can because the world series is the world series and it means a lot. So, uh, if you're asking me to pick, maybe this is the year 2020 is crazy. Maybe this is the year the Dodgers finally get over the hump and win the world series. College football officially starts this weekend. The big 10 returns Ohio state, Nebraska noon. Make sure you go and check that out on Saturday. Uh, a lot of stuff going on in the world of college football. We will break that all down next week. I said we were going to do that this week, but things happened. Things got crazy and hairy in Cincinnati with the Bengals and everything going on. So, of course, uh, we will uh, talk about that, and then we'll talk about college football. Uh, probably go into a deeper dive of, of NFL next week and scores and stats and everything in between. So uh, thank you so much for listening. I know that you know this. And and we have seen it time and time again. We saw it quite a bit, actually, on Sunday in Indianapolis. Indianapolis. Uh, and that's that ball don't lie. It never has. It never will. It is uh, It is is about as honest as old Abe. And uh, in the meantime, y'all, have fun. Be safe. Go Bucks. <laughs>